manage your toolkit training session four. This one is on moving from clinician to supervisor. Okay, so for this session, we're gonna talk about using different tools to manage people and projects and knowing how to effectively direct employees and gracefully transition from peer to manager. And by peer, when I use the word peer, what I mean is someone who is a colleague with other people that is that could be a peer, an actual peer, peer worker who's a person with lived experience who is there to help out the clients. It could also be just a just a colleague with an MSW or a psychiatry degree or any other degree. Um, so just wanted to clarify for peer. I didn't mean the narrow version. Uh, I meant the the broadest version of the world peer word peer. Um, and then manager supervisor. Uh, I'm talking about people who lead other people. If you have anyone reporting to you, you're a supervisor or a manager, and then some of you uh, don't have supervisees right now, that's fine too. You may in the future. And whether you do or don't have supervisees, a lot of this information can be helpful for you as well. Um, sometimes you have interns that come in and work with you, or you have a junior person that you're helping out or being a buddy to. So these, these concepts can be helpful regardless of what your role is. So the first thing I wanna start with, transition to supervisor is difficult. So I wanna find out from you, what is your training? If you could just write in the comments, do you have MSW, social work training, psychiatry, psychology? Are you a peer? Are you, uh, I don't know, accounting training? <laughs> what kind of training do you have? Write it in the comments, please. Great, great, great. A lot of social workers, some psychologists, some other groups as well. Okay, fantastic. Love it. So here's the second question. Good MFTs, awesome. Uh, what are skills, important skills that you learned? So for example, most of you probably learned how to do therapy and the skills that are involved with that, let's say one example would be active listening. What are other skills you learned in your training? I provided an example, active listening. What else did you learn? I know this is a big question. It's important though. Great, look at all that. Good stuff. Those boundaries come in handy, right? Confronting, as, yep, great, 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 awesome. So all of those things that you're learning, great, keep it going. Mirroring, active listening, challenges. Some of those skills, will serve you really well as a manager or supervisor. And some of them won't, okay? Active listening, to use an example, is something that will serve you well regardless. Whatever your role is and whether you're at work or at home and working with your family or talking to someone in the grocery store, any place you are, active listening is going to be helpful. Other things like your skill at being able to help people see their uh, con internal conflicts, for example, that's not as likely to be helpful when you're a supervisor because that's not your role <laughs> as a supervisor. And this is a place where this transition can become difficult because many people in behavioral health field are promoted to supervisor because they're good counselors because they're good therapists, they're good at getting their paperwork done, they're good at active listening. However, your role is gonna be very different. So let's talk about how these roles might be a little different. So when you're a worker 
And by worker, I mean a colleague, a peer, someone who's not supervising other people, one of the gang. And this is whether you're a therapist, you're doing 50 minute hours, whether you're working in a library, whether you are out in the field as an outreach worker, any of those things. So by worker, I just mean someone who's not a supervisor. You can be one of the gang. You can joke, you can complain, you can shoot the breeze, you can do all kinds of things. But when you're the supervisor, you kind of have to be the grown up. <laughs> that doesn't mean you can't have a sense of humor and you can't joke with people, but you always have to be kind of aware or I would say you should always be aware of what's happening and how things are moving. So you always kind of have to be the grown-up in the situation. Similarly, when you're a worker, you're free to complain. Some of you may complain more, some of you complain less, everyone complains sometimes, but you can say, I don't like the way this policy is interacted, or I don't like this, or let's talk about this. That's fine when you're a worker. When you're a supervisor, your freedom to complain is often uh, a little bit narrower, or in many cases it should be. I had a supervisee a while ago, she's an amazing manager, and there was a policy that changed around something, something not related to her direct work, but it, was, it impacted everyone about how you could use carryover vacation time. So I talked with her. We talked about the policy with all the managers, talk to your people about this, make sure they understand that, and then let me know you've talked about it. She spent several weeks not doing it, which was very unlike her. So when I talked to her about it, she said, but I don't agree with the policy. How can I, as a manager, implement a policy that I don't agree with? Aha. <laughs> so we had to have a conversation there. So about how do you do this? Now, obviously, safety issues crisis issues. That's a different story. I'm not talking about a crisis situation or a safety issue or a policy that says you should do something with clients that's not safe. Totally different issue. Of course, you prioritize safety. But if there's a policy you don't agree in, you don't agree with being a supervisor, you still have to be the grown up and move it forward. You can talk about it. You can do, you can approach it in different ways. You don't have to always be, you know, yay, I love this policy. If you don't, but there are different ways to manage it as a supervisor. Similarly, with a, when you're a worker, you can fly under the radar sometimes. You can choose to not speak up in meetings. You can be kind of quiet. You can be to yourself. You can have an off week. When you're a supervisor, you're almost always on to your staff and to your bosses because they are watching you always. And for any of you who are parents, you know this with your kids, people, uh, these, your, your kids are watching you. They're watching every, everything you do. And as a supervisor, I'm not, I don't mean to compare workers to kids, but there's a similar dynamic sometimes where the workers are always watching what the supervisor does. As an example, I was in a meeting the other week in a group that I consult with and the person who was the senior person in the meeting that where we were really trying to talk about some difficult topics was on his phone for most of the meeting. Every single person in the meeting noticed that. And as the meeting went on and he kind of stayed on his phone, people's interest and dedication to the meeting just disappeared because they're seeing the supervisor's not that invested in this meeting. It doesn't seem to be that important to him. Why should we do this? So everything kind of devolved from there, not a good idea. So you have to be on to your staff and your bosses. 
And then finally, when you're a worker, someone else is in charge. It's a different feeling. And for those of you who are supervisors, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Or if you have been a supervisor, when you're the supervisor, you're in charge. You're not just responsible for what you do. You're responsible for what your staff do. And that gets extra complicated when you're responsible for what your staff do with their clients. And you're responsible for making sure your staff complete their paperwork and manage their billing properly or whatever the other responsibilities are. So a lot of different pieces in here that make this extra challenging, but it's not impossible. And that's why we're here to talk about it. It happens, you are able to make, you will be able to make this transition very well. If you've already made it, you can uh, look back at some of these ideas and think about how you can move it forward. So next question, what's the most difficult part of being a supervisor? If you are a supervisor, type it in there. If you're not a supervisor, what, whoops, what is your big concern about being a supervisor um, that you are worried about? Go ahead and type it in the chat. Yes, not knowing all the answers. <laughs> Absolutely. People pleasing. Yeah, so many of us want, really want to be liked. And when you're a supervisor, that, that's a challenge. Uh, if you were not promoted internally, yep, staff, staff respecting the chain of command, dealing with poor performance is one of the most challenging things that supervisors talk about, being responsible for people, difficult conversations, <laughs> asking adults to fulfill adult responsibilities. Yes. <laughs> uh, managing your boundaries with your staff. Yeah, these are all really important things. Treating people fairly, yes. And I will share that being a supervisor, you're, you're going to make mistakes. I'm not trying to be negative, but you're going to make mistakes. The good part is tomorrow's another day and you get another chance to make things right and to move things forward. And what I'm sharing with you today will help you identify what those issues are that you can focus on and how you can continue to improve as a supervisor continue to approve in your boundaries, in being fair, in being direct, in helping out people with difficult conversations like addressing performance. Okay, so here's a few tips for transitioning to supervisors. First is it's really important to have clear roles and responsibilities. And we're gonna talk about each of these in turn. Important to communicate over communicate. We'll talk about that as well. Managing the transition and the feelings by being a great supervisor, managing up, which means managing up to your boss, and then supporting your staff that report to you. And we're going to walk through each of these. And if there's only one thing you can take away from this, the best way to transition to being a supervisor is to be a great supervisor, to be really good at what you do. And that's what I'm helping you do today. Okay, my number one goal, this is mine, feel free to take it if you like it. Ensure your staff have what they need to get their jobs done and to meet organizational and personal goals. This is incredibly important. So the first is ensure staff have what they need. Do they have the computer they need? Do they have a cell phone if they need a cell phone? Do they have uninterrupted work time, which may seem impossible? Do they have a safe work environment without anybody bullying them or, or messing with them in some way? Do they have pens? Do they have paper or whatever? Do they have what they need? Step one. Step two, to get their jobs done. So to get their jobs done, they need to know what their job is 
what the expectations are and what's required to the, of them. So what do they need to be doing? What are you expecting they do? And how will they know when it's done? So sometimes, especially in behavioral health, I've seen it a lot, people hire someone, you're trained as a therapist, okay, go. Sometimes that can work, but many times that, that might not work very well because how they were trained as a therapist or the place they worked before might be different from the expectations at your current um, organization around how many client hours should I be doing a week? What kinds of clients am I responsible for recruiting clients? How about working with other people? All these different parts that are an everyday part of what you do. So to get their jobs done. And then finally, to meet the organizational and personal goals. Organizational goals are things that you as a supervisor are a buffer to for your staff. So for example, staff, maybe the expectation is they have X number of hours a week in direct client care or X number of billing a week. Your responsibility as the boss is just to make sure they get to that point and that you move everything out of the way so that they can do that to the extent you can to meet the organizational goal of across the whole organization, X amount of billing or X number of clients or whatever the, the obligation is there. You don't have to get into the conversation necessarily with your staff around why billing is a goal and I'm here to be a therapist, not an accountant and why the billing and all that other stuff, because you know, as a supervisor, if the organization can't keep its lights on through billing then nobody has a job and we can't help anybody, you may or may not want to have that conversation with folks, but your goal is to motivate them to meet those goals. The other part that I love, 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 as you know, if you've been on some of these trainings already is helping your staff meet their personal goals. And these would be professional personal goals. I mean, you can help them run a 10K if that's their goal, but um, I'm talking about like professional goals that are not the organization's goals, but the goals that your staff have, whether that's to get extra training, whether that's to improve their skills, anything that is their professional development goals, you can also help them with that. And uh, I, I talk about this a lot with new managers uh, about how you can give your staff opportunities to learn in ways that are important and uh, we'll talk about that a little bit more today. So that's my goal of a supervisor and that's complex. It's really three goals. <laughs> that's how I like to do goals. Okay, so basic roles and responsibilities. It's incredibly important as a supervisor that you know your role and, job and responsibilities and that your staff know theirs. Some of you may be starting like a half eye roll right now if you're in an organization that does not have clear roles and responsibilities. I get that. I totally get that. I work in these organizations too. Um, the, uh, I worked for an organization that had, let's say 10 uh, accountants and all, every single one of them had a completely different job description even though they were ostensibly doing the same thing. So you may need to update the job descriptions put that on a back burner for another day, but at least start with the job description, yours and theirs. Understand the organizational goals and targets. You can talk to your boss about this. You can look at your organization's website. You can look at all different kinds of aspects to figure out what those are. I like asking when I'm in a new position, ask your staff what they do. I put together in, in one organization I ended up with Ooh, like 50 people reporting up to me. It was a lot of people. I went through one by one. I told everyone I was doing this half an hour conversation with everybody. 
casual. Nobody's in trouble. I just want to learn. I just want to know who you are and what you do. It took a couple months to get through those. That was a lot of people. But I sat down with them. We hung out. Tell me what you do here. Tell me what you want to do. Tell me, like, what can I do to make your life better? Where do you want to, where do you see yourself in five years? That gave me so much information because it helped me understand how comfortable they are. And of course, some of the junior people, they're sitting with their bosses, bosses, boss. They're not comfortable. I get that. That's okay. Um, but if the senior people aren't comfortable, then that's interesting. That's good information to have. How comfortable they are. How well do they understand their own job? Because if you can't explain it to someone else, then that raises questions. How ambitious are they? How kind of, how are they doing as far as do they seem to be, you know, pretty solid person who's just going to keep clocking in and clocking out? That's fine. Are they someone who's really ambitious? Are they someone who's complaining about everything? You know, how, how do they think about process improvement as far as the big picture? Are they just focused on what they do or are they able to see beyond their role so that they can really understand how the different parts fit together? And that question of like, what can make your job easier will answer that question. You'll be able to interpret how they see things. So anyway, these are some ways to, to get information about roles and responsibilities, and then you can put it together and find ways to provide more opportunities for leadership and seniority and, and whatnot for your staff who are go-getters and ambitious and, and really highly competent. It'll help you understand what the people who are lower performers may need and how you can approach it with everybody. I like to provide this, uh, this met this rubric because it's really helpful. And this book that I cite at the bottom, Managing to Change the World, The Nonprofit Manager's Guide to Getting Results. I love this book. It's really great. And the team has, uh, they have this wonderful listserv and they send you all these management tips. So you can find them online um, or let, I know Jackie knows them as well. So you can always let us, let us know if you can't find it. But this mocha is a wonderful way to, to identify project roles and responsibilities. And it all spells mocha. No coffee included, unfortunately, but you can bring your own coffee for it. So first is the manager who assigns responsibility and holds the owner accountable. And this is the person who's basically the project manager for the project. There's the owner. There should be only one, like the Highlander, only one owner who has the responsibility and who makes sure the manager can get their stuff done. There are people who are consulted. They're not really doing work on the project necessarily, but they are stakeholders who need to have some input. So if you're changing a process, all the people who are involved with that process should be consulted for how any changes might affect their workflow and what they're doing. There can be helpers. These are people who actually do part of the work. And then there's the approver who signs off and the approver can be the same as the owner, um, but there's only one owner. So what I've done, I, I have done this and use this in different ways. So one is sometimes I just use this to inform myself as I'm thinking about what's happening with the group. Sometimes I get very concrete and say, okay, here's a project. Let's walk through what Mocha is. You can use this slide. You could pull it straight from the book, however you want to do it. And let's assign who's the manager, who's the owner, who's the consultant, who's the helper, who's the approval, and clarify that. And if you do that a few times, you will get a really good sense of how people respond to clear roles and responsibilities. As I'm sure you know, there are those of us who love clarity and want clarity. And there are also people who seem to operate better when things are less clear. And that will become more clear to you how people operate, and then you can make decisions based on that. Okay, communication. 
there's a number of things that you as a supervisor need to make sure your staff know. And this is for any project or any ongoing work. So one is who should be involved. I have worked with a number of teams where they didn't know all of the people that should be involved with what they do. And it could be because some of them they only worked with occasionally, um, but sometimes they didn't know, like they're processing something at their desk and they don't know who it is that's giving it to them or why or what their role is. So helping understand, helping your staff understand all of the people and roles and organizations involved in these different steps can be very helpful. Next is what does success look like? What is it that they should be striving for? So for example, uh, related to the homeless outreach work, some organizations focus on providing socks and sandwiches and providing help interim help, other organizations may have a goal of everyone gets housing. So if you're understanding what your those are two different approaches that are both trying to solve the same problem and both trying to help people, and they're both reasonable approaches, knowing which, which, which of those your organization is focused on can help your staff be more clear in achieving the success that you're looking for. Is the, is the goal to alleviate pain and discomfort or is the goal to get them into housing or both or however that might work. Due dates. What are important dates? And I might have brought this up on another call. Uh, when I've worked in universities, it seems like the holidays always sneaks up on people. It happens the same time every year. And yet that time between Thanksgiving and the end of the year, which also includes final exams and all this other stuff, it seems like it sneaks up on everybody. So the more you can clarify timelines and give interim updates around, we have this big report that's due in June. It's now January, let's talk about how it should go. And I think we talked about that on an earlier conversation, um, but kind of help people along to make sure that nobody is surprised and blindsided. Where can staff find more information? This is another good one where initially your staff might come to you with everything. And you may, you may wanna answer those questions, but you also might want to, obviously your staff need their questions answered. I'm not debating that at all. I think the question is where do they find more information? So initially, and obviously in any crisis situation, you give them the answer, you give them exactly what they need so they can move forward. Over time though, you want them to learn where to find information. So then you can start transitioning your question, your answers from giving them the exact answer to their question to saying, where have you looked? Or have you read the policy on this? Read the policy and come back with questions and kind of push them to find the information themselves or to create it. If there's no guide for this process, can you draft what you do? Let's talk about it at our next team. So you're pushing them a bit to make sure that they are learning and also making sure that they do not view you as the person who's there to solve every single problem. Now, I just told you you are there to solve problems, yes. And your staff are not helpless. <laughs> they can solve some of their problems too with your guidance. And all of this is a professional development opportunity. It's an opportunity for you to set boundaries and it's an opportunity for your staff to learn how to be more effective at reading the policies, which hopefully they read already, reading, putting together processes, putting together 
groups of people who can resolve problems. That's all professional development opportunity for them. And then as a bonus, it get, keeps you in the role of supervisor instead of pulling you down to counselor and doing their work. And then finally, why does this project matter? I know many of the staff here are just really passionate about what you do. You wouldn't be in this field if you're not passionate, but that helps. It helps to make sure that everyone's on the same page with clarifying that. And then a how is for some people, how they should approach the work. This is kind of a more advanced skill around if you, if you have a bunch of staff who are well-trained, who know what they're doing, who are clear on when things are due and why it matters and what success should look like, that's great. You may have some people who aren't, uh, especially new staff, staff who have worked in different fields. You know, maybe they've been a 50 minute hour therapist in an office with, with two comfy chairs and now they're doing more outreach. They might need some more help on how to approach the work and you can make sure they know that. So now we have advanced communication. There's more stuff, but wait, there's more. And you'll have the slides so you can walk through these too. Once you get the basics together and you have a decently running team and people know all the, the stuff that we just went over, make sure you, your staff know they can come to you with any question, but as I mentioned before, they also need to be able to do their homework and then you can start nudging them to suggest solutions. And I work through this with staff um, when I, I was in a new position with a bunch of staff that had never been given kind of any leeway to make their own decisions. So they came to me with everything, which was interesting. So I started with giving them the answer. The next step was, what do you think the answer should be? And then we discuss it. And then I say, okay, go ahead and implement that. And then write me back and let me know how it worked or if there's any concerns. Then next was, what do you think should do? Do it. And just, just contact me if there's a problem. But you see how that's a process. It's successive approximation for any, all the, all the mental health people in the room. You're helping staff get closer to solving their own problems. And then they're able to solve a whole bunch of stuff without coming to you. So they bring the higher level issues to you, which means that things are continuing to get better. And you don't have to take the time to answer the same question over and over because they're learning. Yay, they get it. They understand how to solve some of these problems and you get to work with them on the more tricky problems. That's great. Similarly, you are not the designated problem solver. And I mentioned this a moment ago. Yes, of course you're there to help them solve problems and make sure they have what they need to do their job, yes. And that doesn't mean that you personally are responsible for solving everybody's problems. Everyone is responsible. We are on the same team, we are working together. And if you see a problem in this area, by all means, like let's talk about it. And I want to empower you to solve that by yourself or with a team. And then I will praise you in public in front of the team for doing such a great job of solving a problem. That encourages professional development. So people learn how to do stuff. They learn about other people in the broader team. They also um, get some more confidence because their, their skills are growing. It's important that your staff know your expectations. Many, many behavioral health agencies have kind of a general like, we help clients. That's great. Some people within agencies and some agencies say, yes, we help clients. And my expectation is that there's high performance and that everyone is learning and growing. 
And that's what I do in any group that I'm in. And those of you who know me know that that's what I do. Absolutely, high performance and ongoing learning and development. That is what my expectation is. So we can move for that. Of course, you get the choice. You can, you can do B performance and sometimes you don't have any energy to do more than a B or a C, but you don't have to do an A plus in everything. But the goal for the organization or the goal for my section of this organization is high performance. I want us to, to always strive for an A plus at minimum a B. Like we're not gonna get any lower than a B. And that can be a change for some people. Another thing to make sure your staff know is that you will protect them as much as you can. And this has two parts. One, I'm loyal and I will protect you. Two, as much as I can, which means I can't do everything and sometimes it's out of my control. And this is developing trust with your staff. It's helping them be loyal, not just to you, but loyal to doing the right thing, loyal to the high performance. You don't want staff that are gonna, I don't know, bury bodies for you or anything. That's not what I'm talking about. You're not starting a cult here. You just want staff who, who trust you and are committed to the high performance and the ongoing learning and development. And they'll work hard to do the right thing. That's what you're working for. And making sure that they know you protect them is really helpful. And then finally, you're all on the same team. And when I say that, I mean all. I have worked with groups where they, they're fighting, you know, my group in research is fighting with the group in, in finance and they're fighting with the other people. And nope, we're all on the same team, all of us. And that means you as the leader need to make sure that you are sending that message as well, that you're not bad mouthing finance because they screwed up or whatever. And this is hard and I screw up on this. Sometimes I get ticked too, I am human, but to the extent you can clarify, we are all on the same team. I love our team, our, our little team here on my group or our big team here. And we're part of this larger system that is all on the same team. Okay, so transition, let's talk about this part. Working with people who were formerly your peers and now you're a supervisor. And this is whether you are their supervisor, their supervisor or just a supervisor and you've just been promoted up and they haven't been. Understand they may have hurt feelings. It's okay, they can feel how they feel and it doesn't mean it's your fault. They could blame you, that's possible, but it still doesn't mean it's your fault. But understand, it may take a while. Understand that it's an adjustment for them too. And ideally, you'll be able to have a conversation with them to say, oof, all right, so I'm so excited to have this position or I'm so, so excited you got promoted and I hope we can continue our, I really wanna continue our friendship, I really value you and your expertise, I wish you all the best. And we, we both need to be aware, this is gonna take some time. And please feel free to be open with me and uh, when, when things aren't working or when things are awkward and let's, let's check in. So however, whether you're the person who got promoted or whether you're the person who didn't get promoted, it's helpful to do that. The best way to adjust, as I mentioned early on, is to be a great supervisor. Do, what, do your thing, do what you need to do to take care of your people, to move the goals forward, to make sure that you are a super supervisor. <laughs> okay, uh, a couple of things that might be helpful when you think of what is a super supervisor, what is a great manager? These are some uh, weak or aggressive 
managing techniques. The weak ones are on the left here around if you're avoiding things, if you're indirect, you're not making decisions, you're over-friendly. On the other hand, you can be aggressive, raising your voice to people, being defensive, being passive aggressive, or making unreasonable demands out of your own stress of meeting your goals. Neither of those are good. And the again, this managing to change the world book is really lovely on these things. If you have any, if you have interest in following up on this, that's a great book to go to. Similarly, it's important to be the kind of supervisor you want to have. And I'll talk about a few of these. One is I am very direct. Anyone who knows me knows I'm direct. And sometimes that's uncomfortable for people. There are also regional differences in how that works. Being direct works really well in New York City and maybe not as well in Atlanta, but that's okay. Um, I am direct. <laughs> um, so sometimes people have a problem with that and, and we can walk, we can talk through that. Hopefully they're open to talking through with that. Uh, remaining calm is really important. And I'll share an example of when I was in a role where I had so much going on and everything was going crazy. And I was kind of almost running down the hall. I'm a fast walker anyway. And I was walking down the hall and I'm sure my face looked full of stress and strain and and I was just really anxious. And my boss stopped me and said, Jen, what's what's going on? And I said, oh, I'm just, I'm really stressed. I've got all these, da, 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 da. and he's like, okay, you need to not appear stressed because when you appear stressed, your staff really freak out. So that's not good. You need to be a good leader and manage your own stress so that you can lead them. Because if you're freaking out, there's no way they're not going to freak out. And you need to make sure they don't freak out. It's the most helpful thing this person ever said to me. Really helpful. So I ended up, I'm not a particularly calm person by nature, but I ended up going to asking calm people what they did to become calm or to stay calm. And uh, everyone said meditation. So I tried that, never thought I could do it. But anyway, much more calm now um, than I was in the past. But it's important. This is when I talked earlier about how your staff are looking at you. You're on. If you're freaking out, they're gonna freak out. So do be aware of how you're appearing to them. Of course, being open and fair. I know people talked about that. Being comfortable in charge changes over time. You will get more comfortable making these decisions. Uh, it's always helpful to have a colleague who is not involved with your group um, or, or a friend that you can talk to about how to do these things. Sometimes people, depending on the level of your position, it might be helpful to have a coach. I've done that work with people in the past who are transitioning into a higher level position to help them become more comfortable in charge. There are people out there who do that um, and there's ways to manage that. And of course, being transparent, you can't always be 100% transparent and share every single thing that happens, but uh, I value transparency. I try to share as much information as I can and I try to work with that. That's challenging in an organization. If you're in an organization, where they are not transparent and where they use knowledge as power to kind of keep people from knowing what's happening. There are sadly organizations like that, but that's one of the, that's the kind of supervisor I wanna have is someone who's open and direct and transparent with me. And so that's the kind of supervisor I try to be. Okay, let's talk about managing up. Learn what your boss wants, <laughs> that's really important and how to communicate with them. As an example, I, when I, I was in this, this high level position, I came in, I'm, I'm a list maker. 
you probably you know that about me now. I'm a list maker. I came in with a list of all the stuff on my plate. And like, these are the things I want to ask you about. And these are all the other things I'm doing. And the boss was like, uh-uh, this is way too much stuff. Three things. You get three questions. And I thought, hmm, I don't agree with this, but it, that's okay. All right, fine. Next time I came in with three questions. And then you know what happened. Everybody knows what happened. What about this other thing? Number 35, that was not part of my three questions. Aha, I am learning. I am really learning here. So I learned to bring in two documents. One is the three questions or the few things that we're gonna focus on in this meeting. The other is my list of all the other things that are going on. So that when he says, okay, here's one, two, and three, what about number 35? I can pull out that form and say that list and say, it is on my list. It is not in my top five priorities. Would you like me to reprioritize this? Or would you like to talk about that now? What that does is leave him feeling calm that I got it. I'm on it. I know what I'm doing. Now I've had other managers who can handle the big list and who want to see the list. I want to see the big list. I want to see everything that's on your plate. And it could be that we're like, got it, got it, got it. Okay, let's talk about this one. That's fine. I want to see what's on your plate. This boss did not want to see that, but he also wanted to know that I still did. So that's an example. Learn how to communicate with your boss. Don't blindside your boss. <laughs> and this is tricky because sometimes you have bosses who don't want to hear bad information, but they also don't want to be blindsided. You, of course, want to know what's going on and you have your own comfort with that. So you can train your staff not to blindside you and then work on not blindsiding your boss, which can also include figuring out how to present information to your boss that your boss doesn't necessarily want to hear and how to come, come in with that information. So another example, I had a boss who would say, don't tell me a problem without a solution. Okay, I can do that. That helped me do that. What I found out was that even when I would come a solution, he would always come up with something different and tell me my solution wasn't a good one, but that was more helpful to me than coming in without a solution and him telling me, you don't even have a solution, so we're not gonna talk about it. That was not a very pleasant boss experience, but I learned a lot. Okay, as usual, if you mess up, fess up, be clear with what's happening and with your staff. I have had situations where I messed up and use that as a learning opportunity with my staff to talk them through, okay, here's my situation. I wanna clarify that I think I made, I know I made the wrong choice. Let's walk through it together and understand what's happening here. You know, you can't always do that, but if you can make it a learning opportunity, make it a learning opportunity. Has anyone ever had a boss who doesn't mentor you? I have, <laughs> I know a lot of people who have. If your boss mentors you, that is amazing. You have a, a gift. That is wonderful. If your boss doesn't mentor you, you have some options. You can continually be upset and angry with that boss for not mentoring you because that's part of their job and they should be doing it. And is it about me, right? You can go down that road. It's not about you. It's about them. Or you can find other mentoring. I recommend finding other mentoring. <laughs> I recommend not spending a lot of time being irritated with your boss not mentoring you because that's not gonna get you anywhere except frustrated. Uh, so having someone that can help you would be great. That's a question here of what's an example of mentoring. Mentoring is being able to work with you to solve problems. And sometimes that's from a perspective of I'm the senior person 
and I will walk you through like here are the issues you should think about when you're when you need to resolve this issue or here's some specific advice or here's someone to talk to about this stuff that can happen from a boss that's senior to you that can also happen from a peer and a lot of people look to especially a lot of young people and certainly when I was in my 20s I, I had this expectation, I don't know where I got it from, that all bosses would mentor me and care for me and help me in my career. And that was a really hard, <laughs> hard uh, reality that I ran into, um, that that is not what many bosses do. So you can find mentors for other, for, you don't have to have just one mentor. If you have your, if your boss is a mentor who helps you in all different areas, that's again, amazing. However, for most of us, some people can help us with policy. Some people can help us with our clinical skills. Some other people can help us with thinking about what I want to do next in my career. Other people can help us with uh, challenging colleague situations. You know, there's different people who can help with different things. You don't have to get it from your boss. Uh, and then I toss this in just as someone who's been a boss a lot, whatever's on your plate. So you're, you, you're a manager now, you're a supervisor. Whatever's on your plate, your boss probably has 10 times as much. And I say that just because I've had several times people say like, I'm overwhelmed, I got so much to do. Okay, let's walk through it. And like, yes, your boss's boss has like a hundred times as much. So just kind of an awareness on that. And then of course, learn what you can from your boss. I've given you some examples of great bosses and terrible bosses. I have learned so much. I've learned tons from the terrible bosses, including great examples that I can share with you of what not to do or how to react when you have a boss who is not doing what you think they should be doing. Uh, all bosses have weaknesses and there's always something to learn. Okay, we're coming into the home stretch here around supporting your staff. As a boss, you are in charge of developing your team. This can be really easy if you're in an environment that is very heavy on professional development and that provides a lot of resources. If you are not in such an environment, you're still in charge of developing your team. So you can choose to do this or you can choose not to do this. It may or may not be in your official job description and your boss may or may not support you. I have heard repeatedly, especially in behavioral health organizations, we don't like to pay for professional development for our staff because then we train them and they leave. Totally understandable. However, I would argue that the only thing worse than training them and they leave is that you don't train them and they stay. So any team that I'm on, I do professional development. And that again is, is not necessarily the organization's goals, the organization's approach, but I make sure I want my staff to know what they're doing. <laughs> and I want my staff to be able to feel like they're happy at this organization, that they like what they're doing and that they're learning and growing. So I always do that. You can choose if you want to do that. I recommend it. It's really good for staff morale. It's really good for making sure your staff can do the things that they need to do for their job. One of the first ways to do that is to have one-on-one -on -one check ins I talked about doing that at the very beginning when you first go into a position. So even if you've been a supervisor for six months or a year or two years, you can always do one-on-one -on -one check-ins. It's hard during COVID for sure, um, but learn what they're doing. Make sure they understand what they are doing and make sure you understand so you're not blindsided and what's working well and what's working not well. 
when I check in with staff, I typically find a lot of uh, some opportunities for either me to address an issue for them or kind of on behalf of our team with the higher ups or an opportunity to help them solve their own problem. Remember that we're not the designated problem solvers, we, but we can help them. So we can often help them resolve something. And that's really important because many people uh, do what I call suffer in silence. I always tell my staff, please don't suffer in silence. Like come to me, <laughs> I can help you. Don't, uh, I, ideally nobody's suffering in silence. If you're struggling with something, talk to somebody. Let's, let's, let it, let's try to resolve it. It sh shouldn't be that. It works hard enough, you know, without that part too. But that can help you uh, check in with people so you understand what's going on with them. When you're checking in with all your staff, um, then that helps you see patterns around what kinds of things similar are similar that people are bringing up. Providing feedback regularly, we could do a whole hour on feedback, <laughs> but providing feedback, positive stuff, I appreciate you. Um, I think you're doing a great job to really specific things. I very much appreciate how you got this report together in a really fast time, or you managed that difficult client situation very well. And I appreciate your, your calmness and your expertise and your professionalism in dealing with a difficult situation. Very specific, that's wonderful. It's also helpful to provide constructive feedback. And this is an example of a place where those of you who want everyone to like you and have trouble giving feedback, you can start here with providing constructive feedback as well. Positive stuff, I really appreciate this work you did on this report and constructive. You know, in the future, I, I see that you wrote the whole report. I would love if you could work more as a team with the other folks. Can I help? Can we walk through what that might look like? And that's especially if you have a real high achiever who just does it themselves because it's easier than doing it with other people. All kinds of situations where you can provide some constructive feedback, and it's a nudge, you know. Assuming they're generally, you know, A B performers, that's great. You can provide some constructive feedback to help them grow even more. If they're not doing what they need to do, of course, you need to provide constructive feedback. And one of the easiest ways to do that, that takes the pressure, a lot of the pressure off you, is to point to the expectations of the job. Rather than saying, I need you to do X, which sets you two up as being in counter to each other, you can say, the expectations of the job are that the person in this job does X. See how that takes the pressure off of the two of you. It makes it, that's the job requirement. It's not, I'm not making this up. <laughs> this is what the job requirement says. So that can help reduce tension when you're in that kind of situation. And we talked a lot about difficult conversations. So I won't go further into that. Um, I love, love, love helping my staff uncover their own strengths. That is, that brings me such joy. And I hope that it brings you joy as well. It's so wonderful to help people realize the wonderful things that they bring to the table. And especially since many people who have worked in other places with maybe terrible bosses had situations where their strengths were interpreted as weaknesses. Their passion was interpreted as their, um, I don't know, rough around the edges or they jump in too fast or whatever. Helping them uncover those strengths and hone them and use them in a way that's very impactful and positive and helpful is, is something that I love doing. And I hope you can take as much joy in that as I do. And then of course you wanna leverage the strengths of your staff through different strategic assignments. 
So it could be that the first, let's say your group has to write a report every quarter or your team is responsible for a report. The first time you write the report and you share it with everyone and get feedback. And then the next time you ask people to draft different sections and put it together. And then the, while you're still in charge of it, the next time maybe you have one person be in charge of coordinating it and give the whole report to you with enough time for you to review, provide feedback and move it forward. You see how you can just kind of iteratively move these things forward. And there's always plenty to do. There's always strategic assignments. And sometimes my staff have learned that when I say, hey, I've got a project for you, they kind of laugh because they're like, oh, this is another learning opportunity. <laughs> Disguised as work, but it works and it helps people learn stuff. Uh, and then of course, bringing concrete examples of success. Um, that's really helpful in, in bragging about your staff and how amazing they are to other people that's always a good thing. So if I can say, you know, Aaron did this great thing the other day in a meeting with all of my peers, um, uh, all the, the senior level people, then somebody's going to run into Aaron later and say, hey, Aaron, Jen was bragging on you. And how's Aaron going to feel, right? She's going to feel great. Wonderful. Let's do it. So I try to brag on my staff as much as I can. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. And then of course, bragging in the meeting where everybody else is, where you could say, you know, what's what's going on here, and you know, I really appreciate what you did, Aaron. I really appreciate what you did, Kate. I really appreciate appreciate what you did, Sporty, and Randy. Those are really helpful things to do um, in front of each other, and it builds this positive culture. Most of the time, uh, you have the opportunity you have the opportunity <laughs> to create your own positive culture, even if you're in an organization with a more negative culture. Um, again, that's a whole other presentation, but um, you, you bring that to your team. So if you insist on having a culture where you are supportive of each other and positive and complimentary and kind, that will buffer your team from a lot of what they get outside of your, your little wonderful zone um, where, you can, um, where, where they can continue to have the positivity in the team that they might not find outside and then learn how to do that. Of course, of course, of course, take care of yourself. You get to have goals too. Just because you're the boss doesn't mean you have to spend all of your time taking care of everyone else. Make sure that you have your own professional development goals. And I know we talked about those early on. Cultivate this positive energy. I talked about creating your own culture. Um, you can create the culture you want to work in. So do it. And the, the best way to do that is just be it. Insist on being the kind of supervisor you want and being being a part of the culture you want. Be kind to yourself and others. You're, you're still learning, we're all still learning. And then of course, seek your own feedback and self-development. Um, many times when people move into a supervisory role, their constant expertise, which for many of you is clinician, um, they don't get to do that as much. So then they might feel like they get rusty in that or they need some, some self-development. So you get to decide how you want to move that forward within limits. You know, if you're 100% supervisor and 0% client facing hours, that, that makes it a little challenging, but you can still work on those things um, in, as a part of your career and your professional goals that are separate, but complementary to the goals of the organization in your position. And then of course, continuously improving it's the motto of the uh, subway in New York City, continuously improving, pledge to continuously improve. Okay, so moving forward, what, what resonated with you? I just provided, I don't know, 300 ideas for things you can do to improve 
your supervisory skills, to improve your culture in your group, to manage up, to work with other people, to communicate effectively. Um, put in the chat, please, what is one thing that you learned from this session or one thing that you will do differently as a result of this session? What resonated with you? Professional development, great, great. Yeah, the team environment, clear roles, wonderful. Yeah, mentoring your staff, good stuff, really good stuff here. Yeah, the good part, really, really good parts of this are that as you do these things and create the kind of culture you want to work in and be the kind of supervisor you want to be, your staff learn that they can be empowered to do that too. And you all know it's really easy to get disempowered in an organization. It's not that organizations don't care. It's just that they're busy. They got stuff to do. And it's, it's a real, it can be a real challenge to create that kind of culture. And when you created a culture in your group of empowerment and we like working together and it's hard work and we put our shoulders in and we help each other and we appreciate each other, that goes so far, so far. I just talked to a colleague of mine that I used to work with and she was telling me that one of her staff who's now moved on to another group was like, oh, I miss our group. We were so kind, like everybody was so nice and fun and I really like it. And my colleague said, you know, it wasn't always like that, right? I had to create it. And the, her, her former mentee or her current mentee said, so I can create an environment like that too. Yeah, you can. You're empowering them as you go. Team environment, being mindful of the workload, good environment. These are all really good things. I'm so excited. What questions do you have? How to address a former peer who might be disgruntled or someone outside the workplace? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. I talked about that just a tiny bit around how you can work with, whoops, sorry about my light here, uh, how you can work with people uh, when you are moving up. And I think the best way to talk about it as a direct person is to be direct and to say, hey, this thing happened. <laughs> um, let's talk about it. And how is this going for you? And um, this is gonna be awkward. Again, you're just being direct. You're being honest with them and saying, this either it is, it can be awkward, it will be awkward, it may be awkward. And here's my understanding of like, I want to stay friends. I want to make sure that we still stay colleagues or whatever level of detail you want to get into. We're besties, we're colleagues, we're friends, whatever. Um, and I want to keep the conversation open. How do you think we can best do that? Like, what do you want in this relationship? It may be that they say something like, um, you know, I was up for that position too, and I'm not really going to be able to, to be your friend right now. And that's a bummer if that happens. And you can say, I'm so sorry to hear that. And I get it. It's an adjustment. And um, I hope that after some time, you're, you'd be open to being friends again, because I'd love that or whatever, right? So there's different ways you can approach it depending on what the situation is. I hope that helps uh, with the question, Wendy, that you asked. How do you deal with the isolation? Oh, great question. It is, <laughs> there is a lot of isolation in being a supervisor because you used to be one of the gang, remember? You had all these other people that you could gripe with and joke with and laugh with and now you're, there's just one of you. So there's a couple things on this one, how to deal with the isolation. One is find other people who are doing what you do. Um, I've been in a situation where I am one of multiple managers or one of multiple directors, those are now your peers and you can relate to them and work with them on this. 
sometimes you are the only one in your whole group um, and then you're, you're definitely alone, seek outside people. So if you're the only one of you um, in, in your whole company or something, there are probably those people at other companies. So try to find them, but basically actively find people so that you can, who are doing similar things or have, have who have similar interests, expectations, challenges, so that you can build that peer group. And of course you can't, you know, call your rival organization across town and say, Hey, I want to speak to the person who does this and then immediately unload on them. Obviously, you know, you got to uh, be a little subtle with it, but build those relationships, actively build those relationships. Isolation is really, really tough, especially on everyone, as you all know, but especially on new managers. You need to have people who can relate to you and who, can, who you can bounce ideas off on and who you can go to when you mess up and you feel like crap or when you have to have a really difficult conversation and you want to run it through somebody. You need those people. So actively find them. They are there. Well, thank you so much, everyone. I'll stay on another couple minutes in case there are any additional questions. May you all be fabulous learning, growing supervisors.